Hey everybody, this is Lucas from Coastal Vineyard. Just wanted to say thank you for downloading this podcast or maybe picking up a CD after service. We love you and we are praying for you. We believe that your best days are yet to come. So expect the best. We hope that this message inspires you and moves your faith into action. So sit back and enjoy. Good morning. If you're just joining us, we've been uh, the last few weeks talking about uh, Job, and along with Job, we've been talking about Ed's story. Ed, uh, as he said there, he was a pastor for quite a number of years, and he was diagnosed with ALS. And in his diagnosis, the doctors gave him, uh, I think it was like two years to live, and that's been over 10 years ago. And... uh, just watching these videos has just been been a real real amazing journey with him, and so we still have a few more videos to do in the next coming weeks. But um, so we've been looking at Ed, and we've been looking at Job, and we started off with the life of Job. And if you're familiar at all with Job, this guy goes through some of the most uh, intense losses and pains and suffering that could even be imaginable. He, he loses, he, he was a man that was once just kind of on top of the world. Uh, everyone knew who he was. He was well respected in all of the land. And then all of a sudden, all of his wealth gets taken away from him. All of his children die. And then all of a sudden, he finds himself, it says in chapter 2, he's sitting on top of a pile of trash, and he's got sores all over his body. And he takes a piece of broken pottery, and he's scratching the sores just to kind of get a little bit of relief. So needless to say, Job is kind of in a bad spot. And if you were with us, um, I talked a little bit last week about just how the book is a book of wisdom, and sometimes true wisdom is knowing when to be quiet and when to speak. And of course, after preaching that, um, I go home and put my foot in my mouth, because that's what you do when you're supposed to teach people when to be quiet and when to speak, you put your foot in the mouth. And then later on that week, I was working in the yard, and... Uh, lo and behold, I got poison ivy all over the bottom of my feet. And so I'm just wanting to scratch it. And I'm like, man, I talked about Job, and then I was talking about knowing when to be quiet, and now I got all these scratches, and I'm just wanting that, where's a broken piece of pottery? So like, man, uh, I'm not going to preach any of that stuff anymore. This week, we're going to talk about winning the lottery. <laughs> um, I figure, hey, it's worth a shot. You know, you never know, because... But, so if you open your Bible to lottery section, no. It's been, been kind of crazy. So I have learned that every time I speak a message, it's not me telling you, it's me telling me, Lord, help me through this. So we continue with Job. Job chapter 29, if you don't have your Bibles, it will be on the screen. Job 29. Go ahead and throw that on there. All right. Uh, Job is sitting down there, and he is responding to his friends. Now, Job resumed his response. Oh, how I long for the good old days when God took such very good care of me. He always held a lamp before me, and I walked through the dark by its light. Oh, how I miss those golden years when God's friendship graced my home, when the Mighty One was still by my side and my children were all around me. When everything was going my way, 
and nothing seemed too difficult. When I walked downtown and sat with my friends in the public square, young and old, they greeted me with respect. I was honored by everyone in town. When I spoke, everyone listened. They hung on my every word. People who knew me spoke well of me. My reputation went ahead of me. I was known for helping people in trouble and standing up for those who were down and out on their luck. The dying blessed me and bereaved with, with were cheered by my visits. And my dwelling with people were good. I was known for being fair to everyone I met. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. Father to the needy and champion of abused aliens. I grabbed street thieves by the scuff of their neck and made them give back what they had stolen. I thought I'd die peacefully in my own bed, grateful for a long and full life. A life deep-rooted and well-watered, a life limber and, and dew-fresh. My soul suffused with glory and my body robust until the day I die. Men and women listened when I spoke, hung expectantly on my every word. So here we find Job... And he's talking to his friends, and what does he begin to do? He begins to reminisce about the good old days. The days, man, when everybody was hanging on my every word, when everything was going good. How often, when we find ourselves in those bad times where things don't go our way, we find ourselves thinking and expressing feelings just like Job. Oh, if only for the good old days. Now, don't lie, because you all have done it. I have all, I've heard everyone say, oh, I remember when gas was 98 cents a gallon. The good old days. The good old days in 2006 where every business was just doing great and money was just flowing all over the place and we could buy whatever we wanted. The good old days. Whenever you were like 15 and you didn't have things like a mortgage and you didn't have to spend your money on stuff like insurance because, come on, who wants to buy mortgages and insurances and all that stuff? The good old days old days. And so we reminisce and we think about these things and then we want to erupt into Beatles songs and say, yesterday, all our troubles seem so far away, but now it seems as though they're here to stay. Don't act like you don't know the words. Oh, I believe in yesterday. You know the words. And so we want to reminisce. We want to think about, man, the good old days, like Joe is saying, when everyone knew my name, when I walked down the street and people listened to me and hung on my every word, when I was eyes to the blind, when I was feet to the lame, man, I was the man. But now look at me. I'm sitting in a trash pile, scars all over my body. I'm scrubbing myself with a piece of broken pottery. My children have all been killed. And now I find myself and people look at me and they laugh. The chapter goes on, and Job says, Now people that once used to call me friend, now when they see me, they cross the street. They look at me and discuss. Kids now laugh and mock at me. And so he finds himself in a different place. He finds himself in a different time in his life. And we just watched this video with Ed. And he's saying, man, week after week, I used to preach to thousands of people. And then all of a sudden, the day came when my phone didn't ring. And what did he say? He said this, it's like I wasn't needed anymore. 
And all of a sudden, it's just like his world came crashing down. And he said, man, it's like my whole identity was just gone. How often do we find our identity based on what we do? On the work that we accomplish by the numbers that we affect? Mothers that give their entire lives to raising children and then all of a sudden the day comes when those children leave the house and they don't need mom like they used to. And now mom's like, wait a minute. <laughs> or dads that spend an entire lifetime because I have to be the provider for the family. But then the day comes when we don't need you to provide, dad. Or like Ed saying, I was a pastor and I was teaching and I was doing all this. And then all of a sudden the day comes where someone replaces you. Or you spend all of your years building this business and building this empire, and then all of a sudden, oh, we're getting a new CEO. We're replacing you. We don't need you anymore. And so all of a sudden, your world collapses. How do we react in those times? Um, in Ecclesiastes, Solomon asks these very questions, He's, and he comes up with these conclusions. He says, man, all, all of this work that we do, it's all vanity, it's all blowing in the wind. He says, I put, I put my mind and my heart to search these things out, and I've built all these houses, and I've built great cities. Anything that I wanted and desired, I got it. I, I did this, and I did that. And then he comes to this conclusion that, well, one day I'm going to die, and it's all going to go to someone else. And who will know if they will take care of it like I did? They say, vanity, vanity. And so now that we're all depressed this morning... Don't worry, it gets better. Solomon puts this to the test. And see, what happens is, if we're not very careful, we put all of our identity, all of who we are, into what we do. And whenever that changes, we find ourselves just like Ed, at a loss, wondering, well, what now? Am I even needed? And our world can fall apart. In Genesis 2 there, Ed said this. He brought it up. I'd like to read it. Genesis 2.15. In the garden, before sin, before all of that, then the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And like I said, that word to tend and to keep, in the Hebrew, that, ver- that verb is the, uh, the word, if I could pronounce it right. Let me find it here. I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget it. It's like avodot. But this word takes on this meaning, and it's what we translate to tend and to keep or to work. But in the original Hebrew, this word meant not just to work, but it also meant to serve. And not just to serve, but it meant to worship. So to work, to worship, and to serve In this word, avodah, and to tend and keep, God is saying to Adam, I'm putting you here in this garden, and your job is to work it, to this be your service, and to this be your worship. Because in in the Hebrew, you couldn't separate those words. To work and to worship and to serve all had the same meaning. You couldn't get one without the other. He couldn't work without worshiping. He couldn't serve without working. And so they all went hand in hand. But what happens today is we like to create little boxes. 
we like to say here is this box, and this box is composed of work. And this is, these are the things that I do to get by. I pay the bills and I do this. And then I have this box over here, and this is worship. And my worship box consists of I go to church on Sundays, and I read my Bible, and I do this. And then I have this box over here, and this is family, and then this box. And so we like to separate these things into different categories. And we like to say one thing is holy, and one thing is not holy, and one thing is more special. But in the original Hebrew, this would never be done. This would never be looked at as, oh, now you're going to work Monday morning. No, it would be looked at, oh, you continue your worship Monday morning. As you work and as you serve, it's a form of your worship. So you couldn't separate the three. You couldn't turn these into three different boxes. They would all go hand in hand. And if you were a young man that was learning underneath a rabbi, which is translated just a teacher, if you were learning, that rabbi would be teaching you the Torah. He would be teaching you the Old Testament. He would teach, you would be memorizing scriptures. You would be working in the temples and the synagogues, but you would also be learning a trade. That rabbi would be teaching you something like tent making or fishing, or, or carpentry, or whatever it would be, and that would be part of your discipleship as a young man, young woman. You would be learning these things because, again, there would be no distinguishing difference between your worship and your work. It would be one and the same. So as you were building tents, you also would still be worshiping. As you were learning about the Bible and the law and everything like that, it would translate over into everything that you did in everyday life. And so there's this idea that kind of emerges that it all comes into one. Everything comes together with our work and our worship and our service. And no matter how hard we try, we can't separate them. We like to, but we can't. And so Adam was there, And he's given this commandment to work in this garden. Now imagine being there. The Lord has spoken and this world has taken form. Dirt and water and animals and plants and everything is taking place. And it's a huge place. And Adam is sitting there and God says, come with me one day. And they walk over to this garden and God says, this is yours. Avodah, work, serve, worship. What would Adam be thinking at this point? What if he looked at that garden and said, really, God? This is it? Because you created all of this world, and it's a really big planet, and it's just me. Couldn't you give me more than just this garden? What's going on? So no, this is what you begin. See, God has given each one of us a garden, and some gardens are bigger than others. Some gardens take on different forms and different shapes. And how be it for us to look at it and say, God, but really, seriously, that's all that you've given me? And so like Ed, whether it's 5,000 in your garden or whether it's one in your garden, it's still the same commandment. Whether it takes on acres and acres and acres or it's just one lot, God says, this is your service. This is your work. Work, worship, serve, which takes on the whole idea of it's not about you. Your work is not about you. Your worship, your service is not about you. So often we want to make it all about us. 
that this is why I do what I do, and we're going we're gonna to grow it, and it's going to be big, and, and we're going to have this and that and that and that. And, and God is just like, no, this is what I've given you. Are we faithful with, with, with what God has given us? At one point in time, Job's garden was huge. Man, when he walked down the street, he's saying, man, remember the good old days? Everybody hung on my every word. And now, remember, he hasn't done anything wrong at all, but now children are laughing in his face. And it's a different type of garden. Sometimes in our own lives, we have different types of garden you may have been in a season at one point where man you had everything going on for you everything was just man it's like Job saying man it just seemed like God was right there on my side and like whatever I do there was no fear in me and it was awesome and all of this was going right and whatever it was I couldn't lose but now you're in a different season in your life and it's still the same command Avodot tend and keep. This is what you've been given. It doesn't matter if it's big. It doesn't matter if it's small. This is what God has given you. What has God given you? And because remember, there's no boxes in the Hebrew word. There's no, oh, well, I go to church on Sunday, and then I just go to work the rest of the week. No, the rest of the week, you continue to worship the Lord with whatever it is that he's given you. Your worship and your work and your service all translate. It all comes together. He works all things for the good of those who believe. But what is it when we hear something like this, when we hear that whether we're up or whether we're down, when we hear that, man, God works all things, how come whenever it is when we're down, we just don't want to hear that? I mean, when we're up on top of the world, God works all things for the good. He's awesome. He's amazing. Don't you just love him? And then all of a sudden, you're sitting in a pile of trash with broken pottery surrounded by death. And someone comes up and says, God works all things for the good. And you just say, shut up. I don't want to hear that. You know what I'm talking about. I know I can't get some amens up in here, but you all know what I'm talking about. Inside your mind, you're thinking... Goodness, it's a good thing I love Jesus. It's a good thing. And then sometimes we, you know. Why is that? Even in knowing it. Romans chapter 8, Paul says this. 8 and verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. Wow. That is a very, very hard thing to say. For the sufferings of this present time, the things that I'm going through right now, are not even worthy to be compared to those things that are to come. And this is a man who's known the ups and the downs of following Jesus. This was a man that was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a leader. He knew the law inside and out. Wherever he went, people listened to him when he talked. And now, all of a sudden, he's getting stoned. He's getting beaten with rods. He's getting put in jail. And he stands before his accusers and says, Now, why do you jail me? Why do you imprison me? Because I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. 
So here's a man who knows to have it all, and then now all of a sudden, he's being stoned, he's being shipwrecked, and everything, and yet he still says these words? Is there something maybe that he knows that we should know? Because whenever I hear those words and I'm suffering, it doesn't quite bring me the comfort that I think it brings him. He's saying this, what I'm going through right now in all of this can't even compare to be that which is going to be revealed in us. Now, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Even creation itself is waiting for something. We're moving towards something. And we know that all things work together for the, go- for the good of those who love Jesus or who love God to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew and also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, more so over whom he predestined, he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. What is he saying here? He's saying, I have this type of attitude. I could look before you people in the eyes and I could say that this present suffering, everything that I'm going through now is not even worthy to be compared to, to what is lying before us. Why? Because I have my mindset and I know the end from the very beginning. It was predestined. And what was it predestined to do? And see, a lot of times we get in our mind, we see that word predestination, and then we start to think of all the theological arguments of salvation, of whether once saved and always saved. But that is not what Paul's saying here. He's saying that we are predestined for what? We are predestined to be made into the image of God. So in other words, he's saying this. Going through all of your pain, going through all of this present suffering, it doesn't matter what I'm going through now because as a follower of Christ, I have no other choice but to be predestined to be like him, to be like Jesus. In other words, if you are a follower of Christ, good times and bad, you are on a path. And no matter what happens, no matter if your world falls apart, you are predestined to be like Jesus, to be like him. And who, who he's predestined, he's also called. And who's, who's also called, he's justified. And who's justified, he's glorified. He's saying this is a path that if you're following Jesus, you can't lose. And it doesn't matter. And so knowing that, Paul can say this. He can say, it doesn't matter what I'm going through right now. These present sufferings have nothing to do because I am on this path. And no matter how how bad it gets, I am going to be more and more and more like Jesus. And as Christians, as people of faith, that is our journey. That is what is ahead of you. That is what you are predestined for. If you are going to follow Jesus, you are going to be made more and more like him. If you're not, you're not following him. I know that's kind of hard to hear, but that is the result of following Jesus. We follow Jesus and we become more and more and more like him. Are we perfect? No. And it doesn't matter what happens because Paul's saying, man, even in the midst of getting stoned, I know that this is the path that Jesus took. And his road ultimately led to a cross. So why would my road lead any other place? Sometimes when we're dealing with pain and suffering, it throws us for such a loop. 
that we think our world is collapsing and our identity is just gone. We think that, man, I used to be somebody and now I'm nobody and that's not what God thinks. You are the same. It doesn't matter if you were somebody or nobody. It doesn't matter. You are still being made into his image, into his likeness. Paul, a great example of what it is to go through pain and yet still have this type of attitude. Man, I pray that I could have this type of attitude. I pray that I could say the words that, man, this present suffering, these things that I'm going through, it's nothing compared to the things that are ahead. I wish I could just have just a glimpse of those things which are ahead. Because sometimes, let me just be honest with you, these present sufferings really, really stink. I remember one time I was, uh, I was overseas and I got malaria and being on the ground, lying on this dirt floor for, it was like four days just shivering and being in so much pain that I couldn't walk and just trying to crawl myself to the bathroom, which was just a hole in the ground, maybe 15 feet away. It's like 110 degrees outside, and I'm just thinking to myself, this is the worst that it gets. Man, if I could say, man, this present suffering has nothing can't even compare to that which is ahead of me. (sighs) Help me to learn that lesson. No matter what, good times and bad. Because if we're going to follow Jesus, that's part of the path. Good times and bad. Paul knew something. I think he knew something that Jesus knew. Jesus knew this. It didn't matter whether he was preaching sermons from the mountaintops and large crowds were following, or whether it was just him alone in the room with the twelve. It wasn't, his identity wasn't based in the numbers. His identity wasn't based in anything but what God said he was. And what did God say? Behold the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sins of the world. He knew from the very beginning what he was getting himself into. He knew that ultimately his road and everything that he was journeying towards was this cross. And he did it anyway. He marked out a path that we should follow. And sometimes, yes, there were large groups with Jesus. There was amazing moments where Jesus broke the bread and the fish and fed all the people and all the crowds. But here's the thing, when you begin to read the scriptures, there's always large crowds when miracles are taking place. But then all of a sudden, he's in a garden, and he's getting ready for the cross, and then there's only a few, and then only three go further, and then only Jesus goes by himself, and then when he gets to the cross, only one of his disciples is at his feet. Woman, behold thy son, son, behold thy mother, And so the crowd kind of dwindles when the glory fades, when all of the excitement fades. And it happened in the life of Job. All of the the glory of everyone patting him on the back and saying how good he was and hanging on his every word. And now all of a sudden he's sitting in a trash bin and people cross the street when they see him. Have you ever been in that place? 
Have you ever been the one that, man, you used to be the man? You used to be the woman. And now, all of a sudden, the ones that used to call you friend cross the streets when they see you. Do you know the hurt and the pain? Jesus was called all kinds of things. See, often in church, we like to say and, and, and dwell on the names like Emmanuel, healer, refuge, strength, uh, Christ, Savior, King, Lamb of God, the light of the world. But we forget there's a whole bunch of other names that Jesus was called to. He was called lawbreaker. He was given for treason, a drunkard, a glutton, friend of tax collectors and of sinners, a blasphemer. He was said to be empowered by Satan. These were also other names that people called Jesus. And if we're going to follow him, this is part of the journey. He preached to thousands. He discipled the twelve. He brought three even closer. I was intimate with those guys. Are we looking and finding our identity and what we're doing? Is it all about once we were, once were, do we find ourselves like Job reminiscing of the good old days? The garden hasn't changed. It may look a little different, but it's still the same commandment. You may have gone from thousands, now you're down to one. Like Job, you may have been the man, but now you're, once, now you're laughed at. This morning, let me remind you that you are more than what people say you are. You are more than the pain. You are more than these present circumstances. Your identity is not based on the number of pats on the back you get or how many sales you generate or how many contacts you have in your phone. Your identity is not based on who knows your name or how much money you have in your bank account. Your identity is confirmed through one thing, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. His blood that washes and makes us clean. His blood that turns pain into joy. His blood that says there is always hope. As long as there is breath in your lungs, it is not over. You are called to be like him. And he is the one. His opinion matters. You are what he says you are, not what anybody else. Whether it's pats on the back or spits in the face. Let's pray. This has been a presentation of Coastal Vineyard Church, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information on who we are and how you can support future podcasts, visit us on the web at www.coastalvineyard.org. All who are weak, 
Come to the fountain Come to the